Welcome to this conversation. I'm Teresa Keller and my guest today is Barbara Schwartz. And she's gonna talk about an issue that's been in our lives for decades and in the news in recent weeks because of big changes. Barbara is an abortion activist and in the post Roe world and the new Dobbs world, which governs abortion, changed the laws in Tennessee and I think not in Virginia, but Barbara Schwartz is going to tell us all about that. Thank you very much, Barbara Schwartz, for being with me today. Thank you for having me. This week in Bristol is a big deal because Bristol straddles Virginia and Tennessee, and the abortion laws are different on different sides of the state line. So can you just kind of bring us up to date on where things stand on that? Um, I can start with Tennessee, which the minute that Dobbs was announced the decision, a six-week ban, meaning I say six weeks, it's basically a cardiac activity on the fetal pole ban. I refuse to call it a heartbeat law because the embryo at six weeks does not even have a heart. It's an electrical signal. So the ban is on terminating a pregnancy after that electrical signal is detected. That is the law in Tennessee. Correct. And then starting 30 days after the Supreme Court filed their decision, which was on July 26th, there will be no abortion in Tennessee except when the life of the pregnant person is is in danger. All right. So as of this week, August the 26th, ban goes into effect, which basically mm-hmm. says, except for the life of the mother, a woman in Tennessee cannot have an abortion. And if she does, what happens? That's the interesting thing. Um, there are laws on the, I, I believe the law right now is to set to, to criminalize the provider. I don't believe um, that there are laws in, in place to, to prosecute the pregnant person or whoever helps her right now, though there are certainly people that have submitted that, uh, s- s- submitted that legislation. The provider, we're going to be arresting doctors and nurses, but not mm-hmm. the women in Tennessee. Is there any belief that that would really happen, that people just on the other side of Bristol, physicians who would provide an abortion, would realistically be arrested? Well, unfortunately, I cannot show you a link, but uh, uh, the provider in Tennessee has inter- has asked defense lawyers who are, who are on reasonable terms with the district attorney in Sullivan County and other lawyers that have been advising other clinics in Tennessee have said that, yes, that it is very possible that, a pro- that if a provider in Tennessee goes to Virginia to, pr- to provide pregnancy termination, that they will be prosecuted. So that makes it seem pretty realistic. I know, uh, Barbara, and we're going to get into this in detail, but you have worked as an escort for women who had been going to the clinic that was in Bristol, Tennessee, where they could get abortions. I shouldn't say work because there is no there's no money involved. It's one of the common myths of the of of the of the forced birth movement that we are somehow paid to provide this service, but we are all volunteers. So you volunteered on the Tennessee side. What has happened to that clinic? As of the 26th this week, clinic can't provide abortions. Well, that's true. The The provider there is a, is a full spectrum gynecologist, formerly an OBGYN. A lot of people stop the OB side of their practice as they get older and as the malpractice insurance increases. But this doctor has been doing everything from infertility treatment to STI testing, to, to pap smears, annual exams, all of that. So 
the provider will continue providing the other services to to women that he can. But it's pretty well known that that clinic was the place where people went in Bristol because there were protesters. In fact, weren't you part of a story in the New York Times about the protesters and counter-protesters at that clinic? Well, the, the, the protesters were really not part of my story. The protesters have been, and, and in fact, if I can roll back a little bit, the whole reason for our presence at that clinic um, the doctors there have been providing pregnancy termination for years. They they provided gender affirming therapy too, without without any spotlight on them. But in the I believe in the mid teens, because I'm fairly new to the area, I've got to be candid about that. In the mid teens, the presence at the clinic became obnoxious, and the first person who stopped by that clinic and saw the protesters and saw that they were loud and abusive and even trespassing in the parking lot, the private property of the clinic, was a retired nurse. Posted on her Facebook, she took up a solo vigil by herself in 2018. And, but she had met other people through progressive causes and they saw on her Facebook page. So that's how, that's how she attracted, um, like a Pied Piper, people to try to make the experience safer for patients. You had done that before, and that connects to where you used to be, and then you'll have to tell us how it is that you came here. But where had you worked with abortion issues before? I had been a volunteer at uh, Planned Parenthood, various locations in the Orlando area since 2014. I had, you know, from years of, of thinking that this was a done deal, like a lot of people, I was kind of caught by surprise. I'd had my own safe, legal, and untraumatic and unremarkable pregnancy termination back in 1976. And since then, I'd always given some money to Planned Parenthood or National Abortion Rights Action League. And then it was Wendy Davis, the state legislature's fabulous filibuster in, um, in the Texas state legislature in 2013 that totally brought it back into my mind that we are at risk here. We are going backwards more than 50 years. And I became alarmed and, and, and reached out. Planned Parenthood was the easiest connection to make, was trained as an escort there and escorted there and worked at Planned Parenthood for a couple of years too, between uh, 2014 and 2020. You were in Orlando. Were you in other locations before you came here? Well, no. I mean, we lived we we lived just north of 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 Orlando. They had three different locations in the Orlando area, so I was I was at any of the three of them, depending on the need. Barbara, you you know, a lot of people don't want anybody else to know that they ever had an abortion, but you've been open about that. And you know, a lot of people seem to think that abortion is just done lightly by women who get pregnant and then go, oh, gee, I'd rather go to the prom or something, or, you know, that there's, it's just um, a form of birth control. What are you willing to tell us about your situation, how you got into the situation of an unwanted pregnancy and so forth? This is, this is quite a good, and an understanding of that, yes, even in this day and age, there are birth control failures, but certainly back in 1976, there were, I had been on the, the, the oral pill starting in 71 and then in 72 went back to get my prescription renewed and my blood pressure had shot up. So the doctor said, well, I think you're one of those people for whom a high blood pressure might be a risk issue. And I did my homework, did my research and found out that the first IUDs were being dispensed. So in 1972 at 19 years old, I took the train into a Planned Parenthood and got my first IUD. 
and it did very well for four years. And then one day it didn't. And I was quite annoyed because darn, I had put up with the discomfort, the cramping, the the whole thing of, of having this of having this thing in me and damn it, it didn't work. So there was no ambivalence about me wanting to be pregnant or secretly hoping, even though I'd been in a long-term relationship, there was no ambivalence whatsoever about terminating the pregnancy. And you've never regretted the decision is what you're saying. Oh, not at all. Not at all. Um, I'm just going to press you, Barbara, because you're you're willing to talk. What do you say to people who say it's a sin, it's murder, you committed murder? Um, I believe that that is, is spelled out in, in some people's religions, and I certainly respect them for it. I don't go around telling a Muslim that if they had a, a had a bacon and egg sandwich that they've committed a sin against their religion. All I can say is is people live ethically and don't always share the same set of rules. So you took a train into the city again was Oh well actually actually the train was to get my IUD, but in 1976 when I was pregnant, what's very funny, I gotta take you back in time because you couldn't have a diagnosis of a pregnancy without seeing a doctor. There were no take the test off the shelf. They came out a year or so later, actually. So I had to a go to a clinic to get a valid pregnancy test and then schedule an appointment. But the good part was, is you opened the yellow pages. There was no Google and internet back then, but you flipped through the yellow pages and I was living in New York City. So there were many, many options. Wrote down some numbers, called people, talked about prices, scheduling, when I could get in, things like that. And and, and I was able to essentially ar- arrange my pregnancy termination at a time that worked out for me. I was working in retail at the time at an art supply store and go back to work the next day. That was your story of your abortion. And after that, then you became concerned when somebody pointed out that this fight about whether abortion should be legal or not was ongoing. What is it that brought you to the Bristol area? Well, my husband and I both met and spent time in the Northeast. Um, We then went down to Florida for 19 years, which had its um, pluses and minuses. And we were at starting about 2015 or so, we started to think, like to move we, we, the joke is they call them halfbackers you know people people that move halfway back to to where their their <laughs> rigor their rigorous winters would have been so we thought well we might be halfway backers we miss hills we miss seasons and i put into google one day on just for my own amusement most pleasant climate and it popped up with marion virginia so <laughs> we scheduled four or five days in marion virginia just to look around and see what it was like and, and a waiter at a restaurant said, you guys seem like foodies. You should go over to Abingdon and, and, and eat at this restaurant or that restaurant. So we said, okay, that's a good idea. And we can look at houses in that area too, just kind of dry looking like you do on Zillow and fell in love with the town. Just, just, and, and, and the, the hills, the outdoor life, the songbirds singing 24 seven, we just fell in love with the town and, and it remained kind of a, a, a goal. And we finally were able to, to get here in 2020. Okay, Barbara, here comes a really personal question. Was the abortion from a relationship with your husband, somebody else? If it was somebody else, does your husband, of course, he knows about it. And what? how has he handled it? It's kind of, it's, it's actually a non-issue with him. I don't think he was ever driven to parenthood himself. He certainly knows. And, and in fact, he's friends with a couple of the most, of, of the important uh, men from my past it was literally a year into an 
a, a intense committed two year relationship that I that I did that I did get pregnant. And so your partner shared the responsibility. Oh, and absolutely, it, it was an it, it could have been a made for TV movie if you if you wanted to have one that, that made an abortion a positive experience. I had the 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 partner involved splitting it with me 50 50 because we were both you know poor little 23 year olds and i was taking home 99 dollars a week at the time and my best female friend the two of them came to the clinic with me and then we went out to lunch afterwards i mean i'm not trying to make it a frivolous event but it, the, the relief and the we're moving on we're moving forward aspect of it really was significant my guest today is Barbara Schwartz. We're calling her an abortion activist. She had an abortion many years ago, and when she began thinking that the right to abortion was under threat, she got involved with the issue and in a series of events wound up here in this part of the country and has been serving in a volunteer capacity at the clinic in Bristol, Tennessee, where abortion has been legal until actually completely illegal as of this week, unless it pertains to the life of the mother. And so, Barbara, thank you again for being here. Can you tell us more about your experience working with the clinic in Bristol, Tennessee? What did you actually do and why did you do it? Well, by the time I got, I, I had actually, since I started to follow other activists online, I came across the, the Bristol Pink Defenders and knowing that I was interested in the area, I started to follow them on Facebook. I, I, I'd mentioned the, the, the retired nurse that was the first person that staked out a place to, to keep people from, from bullying patients and their partners. Watch them evolve. They have folks in their group that are essentially engineers with fabric. It started out with them meeting the forced birth demonstrators toe to toe, but that was risky physically and legally. And then they started to realize that that if you can break eye contact with the nasties, um, you can give patients some relief as they pull up and drive in and assess themselves and get themselves together. So they engineered a fabric wraparound of, of pink and, and lavender and, and cheerful fabrics, including gates to at least isolate the front parking area at the clinic. And um, it's, it's, a, it's an ingenious way of doing things. They also evolved white noise. When people come with um, bullhorns and say things about how you're going to hell and you're killing your baby and, and you're a slut. And one of the, the defenders uh, created a loop of essentially food court chatter. So it, like that acted as a white noise. It was just voices going blah, 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 which we had played on some Bluetooth speakers that could kind of jam out the pejorative stuff and the condemnation that was coming from from on the street and you walk with the patients through well, it really depends we try to essentially get them inside this fabric safe space a few people are stubborn or they're just going in for a minute to pick up it is don't forget it's a full service uh gynecology office some people are just running in to to get a quick shot or to pick up a, or, or to give a blood sample or to pick up a prescription they don't necessarily want to be in our lovely little pink arena but we actually do a little less escorting except when out of town anti-forced birthers come and put up their ladders and their 70 watt bullhorns and peer over our fabrics and scream at patients in the parking lot then umbrellas and walking and be becomes essential 
What is the exact regulation? They can probably be within a certain number of feet from the clinic or from the patients? Well, um, basically it's private property and they're all trespassed. They will um, attempt to defy, there's a federal re- regulation called the FACE Act, which which involves, um, pro- it's a federal crime to prevent someone from getting access to their doctor's office. But their little tricks are doing a slow walk across the driveway saying, oh, I'll move if a car comes. And apparently in Bristol, Tennessee, um, a noise ordinance is, is not enforced. So they can bring very, very loud bullhorns, some of which have been audible inside the clinic. And um, basically nothing has been enforced by the Bristol, Tennessee police. You talked about your abortion, which was in 1976, and you described going in, having the abortion, and then going out to lunch. Are the procedures pretty much, that's obviously a quick surgical procedure. Are the procedures the same these days or with medicines and pills and all that? How is it different? Well, actually, in some ways, the in, I don't call it surgical because there's nothing surgical about the procedure. I call it an in-clinic procedure. And yes, um, gentle suction was used back in 1976 and is still used. There is another option that, that, that was developed in the 80s, which is the medication abortion, a medication that came out of, of France called RU486. And what RU486 does, which it's known in this country as, as mifepristone. And in, in a medication abortion, that is the first medication given after you've had your ultrasound, you've had your counseling, you've discussed your other options, you've given your consent, you're given this one pill, which essentially blocks progesterone from getting to the embryo or fetus. It, it, it sits on the same receptors that progesterone, right? So it basically stops, stops the pregnancy from continuing. 24 to 48 hours later, um, you would take um, misoprostol, usually four tablets are installed between your gum and your cheek. And the purpose of the misoprostol is to cause the uterus to contract and expel its contents so that you're not carrying around septic contents of of something that's not alive. Uh, The second stage is is, is done at home in the privacy of your home. Is that the same thing as plan B? Plan B is not a prescription. What's plan B? Plan B is is essentially... um, Oh my God, the condom broke. I, I I may or may not be ovulating yet. Plan B is they used to do it actually before Plan B was spelled out with like take five birth control pills. What it does is prevent ovulation. So that if if so that if you haven't ovulated and the condom broke or you had un, un spontaneous sex or or something, you would take Plan B and hopefully you wouldn't ovulate and the sperm would have died off by the time uh, by the time your cycle came around again. Plan B is not an abortifacient. Plan B does not cause abortions. It prevents ovulation. Well, do the anti-abortionist people, you would call them forced birth people, do they object to Plan B? Well, they, well, they, well, they do. They basically, um, there's a lot of um, bad or non-science involved, but they're very fond of calling anything an abortifacient. They call IUDs an abortifacient. They call just your basic um, 28-day uh contraceptive pill and abortifacient. And there are also people that believe that that, um, life begins, I mean, they they use life and conception, which are technically not scientific terms 
to like if a sperm met an ovum, they they would say that's conception, that's life. So, and I can point you to and send you to later some some very good peer reviewed studies that say that basically fifty percent of ova that have met a sperm are still uh, excreted out in menstruation. Interesting, and it, you really stunned me when you talked about that at six weeks we call it the heartbeat test, but you say that it's just cardiac activity, that there's not even a heart at that point. There isn't a, there isn't a heart yet. It's, it, it, it's, electri- it's an electrical thing. And yes, it, as, a, as an electrical thing, it is a phenomenon, but there is no heart to be beating. And I think you can verify that with some, and, and um, in the abortion care work that I've done, it is described as cardiac activity on the fetal pole. Tell me a story that just haunt you in your work with people attempting to get abortions? Oh, that's a tough one. And, and, and I, and I tell people over and over again, that it's not queen for a day. You don't have to impress me with how much you've suffered. I don't really care or need to hear your reasons, but some people, some people do share. I think one of the ones that haunts me is two days after Christmas, um, helping a woman. I was working in abortion care at that point. Um, just putting putting a woman in, in the procedure room, telling her, put the gown on here, sit yourself down there, relax there. Um, and I noticed bruises on, on, on her body and a leg in a brace. And she had been beaten up on Christmas Eve by what she thought was the person that might help her through the pregnancy. And she ended up in the emergency room. And I thought, yeah, it, it, if you can't see your, you know, if, if there's no one here for you, then, and you're emotionally damaged, there's absolutely no reason why you, why you should go through a pregnancy. I mean, that one haunts me a lot. I, there's a 15 year old that, that, that w- was with their first boyfriend and was already a, a, a pitching phenomenon. It was going to be, was being scouted for scholarships to some division one schools. Her father brought her because he, he just, he wanted his daughter to, to have the future that, that she needed. And those are some of the stories I've heard. But, but again, there's just like, I don't demand, there's, as far as I'm concerned, there's no qualifying test. It's, it's, I can't carry this pregnancy and that's enough for me. That's a very interesting concept and term queen for a day. And I guess I have just been guilty of that, of saying, well, I want to hear the stories of people who suffered and had such a hard time and were so relieved and that it would, uh, you know, be a persuasive story on why they had to do it. But uh, anything else you want to add on that since I stepped in it? No, I'm not. No, I'm not. I'm not putting down. I mean, everyone that tells a story is, is, is telling some kind of telling their truth. And I'm not putting down the queen for a day stories. And they are reaching people that, that, that think that the average termination is is a, a, a frivolous college girl that forgot to take her pills or or whatever or someone that thought they could entrap a boy into a marriage or you know I you know I whatever it takes to negate those stories but um, honestly I've just learned to to value everyone's reasons because pregnancy is a huge commitment it's rough on the body it's 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 life disruptive it's economically disruptive it's relationship disruptive and unless you're you know you're willing to go for the stars on that there's there's no reason why you should be forced into it we talked about the fact that things are moving to virginia in a virginia clinic is this clinic open is it do people know where it is what it's called how to contact them 
Mm -hmm. I mean, it is it is open um, limited number of days a week right now as they come up to speed. Um, it's called Bristol Women's Health. It's on 2603 Osborne, which is right behind the what we call the Round Bank, the, the Lee Bank there on 421 on Gate City Highway. Um, there is someone that will answer the phone every day of the week. There's a night nurse on for a couple of other clinics that will also pick up for, for any distress. Right now, they're doing the medication abortion only up to 11 weeks. But but as as they gather the equipment and the expertise and the people needed, they will be doing some in-clinic termination as well. And the protesters have or have not shown up yet? They have. Um, they haven't shown up en masse. There have been four or five at a time, and they are playing a little footsie with... Uh, what's right of way, what's easement laws. And unfortunately they've had a, you know, a, a, a beat cop that says, oh yeah, yeah, I guess you can stand here, it's an easement. Well, they're standing by the clinic at a power pole. So, I mean, this is something that we are trying to get straightened out because, you know, I have a power pole in my backyard. It doesn't mean that an anti-abortion protester can stand in my backyard. So these are things that we are trying to enlist um, the police, the city council and 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 magistrates and stuff to get sorted out for us, but so far they have not had the same effect. The, the clinic has a fairly fortuitous arrangement where it, it's end onto the street, not face onto the street. So um, without trespassing, they can't really get close enough to intimidate patients. And can they be seen by people driving by? Well, they can. I mean, they have. Um, there are certain signs that we call fetal porn. They are very large blow up signs. And they're often photoshopped or they're taken from gynecology textbooks to make it look like those were voluntary abortions where they're often either miscarriages or fetal anomalies. They'll have these signs blown up to a, a three by four size. They've actually um, bungeed them up to telephone poles on the Gate City Highway directly across from the Casino, so we're we're kind of hoping that the casino might be concerned too, that this is not exactly a neighborly thing. Barbara, you are so knowledgeable, and this has been uh, very helpful. I hope that the listeners will appreciate hearing from somebody who really knows a lot about it. Our time is just about up, but I'd like to give you an opportunity just for a closing comment. Um, if if you do want to make um, to continue to make a, abortion accessible, there are uh, abortion access funds couple of which are very, very local. I mean, not very, very local. The one that's probably helping our cleaning out the most is the New River Abortion Access Fund. They're based in Roanoke. There's another, there's another one called Blue Ridge based in Charlottesville. And there's another one in Tennessee called Mountain Access Brigade. So just go look those up. And if you want to send a couple of dollars their way, they will make sure that people get anything fr from part of their procedure paid for to someone to drive them. Thank you very much. Once again, Barbara Schwartz, we're going to have to leave it there. Thank you to the listeners for tuning in. This is This Conversation. I'm Teresa Keller. This show airs Wednesday at 6 and Sunday at 2 on WEHC and can be found shortly after that on the archive that you can find at WEHCFM.com or you can try Googling This Conversation, WEHC and it's likely to show up where you can find it on your podcast site. Barbara Schwartz, my guest, thanks again. Thank you.